Hey, this is Disability After Dark, the podcast that shines a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The opinions, language, and discussion expressed in Disability After Dark may be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Do you want to keep the conversation lit around sex and disability? Want to spark a conversation about something you heard on the show? Feel like shining some light on an issue that I haven't even thought of? You can do all that and get the inside scoop on what happens in my brain after dark by following me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza. That's A-N-D-R-E-W-G-U-R-Z-A. And be sure to use the hashtag DisabilityAfterDark all over your social media so we can shine light on sex and disability together. Hey guys, as you're listening to the show, why don't you pop on over to my brand new shiny website, AndrewGerza.com. It's not quite ready, but if you head over there right now, you can sign up to be one of the first to find out what I'm doing around sex and disability. Stay tuned, guys. My name's Andrew Gerza, and I will be your scintillating sexy host as we light up the conversation on sex and disability like never before, right here on Disability After Dark. Hey guys, thanks for joining me for episode 6 of Disability After Dark. I'm really, really excited that you decided to click on the link and open up a conversation around sex and disability. Such an important topic and I'm so honored to have been given a platform with which to do this work. I'm really, really glad that the podcast is receiving such a positive reception. I'm just really excited that you want to shed the light on sex and disability with me and go deep into these conversations. Go deep. I just want to give you guys a quick overview of the numbers that we've received since the podcast launched about 10 days ago. Within ten day, within the 10-day launch of the podcast and the first five episodes, we have received 212 downloads of the five episodes, which is an amazing number given the fact that nobody usually wants to talk about sex and disability. So this means that people really want to talk about these issues and they really want to hear more and they're curious as to what disability after dark is and what it means and why it's important and I'm really really glad to have been given the chance and to have created such a platform to do that because it isn't about me doing this it's about creating conversations that we can all have together and I'm really really excited that this podcast has allowed for that and given the numbers and given also the fact that we've been on the sexuality top 10 list once already and we're we're well within the top 10 hundred at the time of this recording We were number 69 out of 100, which I don't think is coincidental at all. I think it's actually kind of a nod to us in a way, sort of, um, which is super awesome. I think that these numbers speak for themselves, and they're they're allowing me to see that people want to have these conversations around sex and disability, and I think that they're long overdue, and I'm glad to be able to have them with you. So thank you. For this episode, I want to talk about something that affects people with disabilities and the disabled community every single day. Everybody living with any kind of disability or impairment understands exactly what this feels like and how and the, the emotions attached to this to this feel to this thing I want to talk about today and it's really really important and we hear we hear a lot about it in the disability community and disability discourse where we don't hear a lot about it is how it affects our sex and sexuality as disabled people and how it permeates that experience as a sexual being and I want to talk about it that today because that's affected my sexuality so much and how I perceive myself as a sexual being as a disabled person how I have found a way to 
bring these two identities, queer and crippled, together has been affected by this thing. If you're wondering what this thing is, let me tell you about it right now. I am talking about ableism. Now, if you're like, I've heard that word before, but I have no idea what it means, and it's probably an ism, you're right. It is one of the isms, but it's one of the more, more or less not really talked about isms outside of particular circles. We talk about racism, we talk about other isms a lot, but ableism is one we don't really tend to explore, especially from a sexual sphere point of view. So that's my plan today, and before I go any further, let me kind of explain to you what ableism is. So, the dictionary.com definition of ableism, as defined by them, says ableism is discrimination against disabled people. Okay, yes, they're right. Ableism is the discrimination or prejudice against people with disabilities or disabled people, but there's so much more to it than that. It's so much more evasive and insidious than I think we realize, and I want to talk about that. They don't ever... They don't ever talk about in these definitions how ableism feels and how it feels like to be perpetrated against by somebody who being ableist and what the emotions that come along with being attacked on the basis of ableism it's really really rough it feels like it makes you feel like shit makes you feel like you don't like this disabled body that you're living in which is fabulous and crippled and awesome like you don't you shouldn't be here like like you're definitely othered it makes you feel horrible and one of the places where we don't talk about ableism a lot is in the sexual sphere. And that's kind of where I want to start today. And I want to start and mostly work within the time that I was ableist. Ableism is something that affects everybody. And whether you have a disability or not, you can be ableist. And I found that even though I do the work that I do, and I'm very sex positive, and I'm very open to having all these discussions, I am not immune to the effects of ableism, and it's something that definitely and definitely has affected me in many ways, and I want to share a story with you about that right now. A couple of months back, my best friend and I got together for a coffee. Now, this is a friend of mine that I hadn't seen in about six years. She moved out of the country about, I want to say, eight years ago, and we 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 always stay in touch, but she we just got busy with their lives, and she wasn't able to get back to Canada for about six years. So it was the first time in about six and a half years that I had seen her. She had come to a conference in Canada, and she was like, oh my God, we have to get together. I'll be in Toronto on this day and this day. Let's get together, and we'll do all that. So we arranged all that, and I'm so excited to see her. And it was, she is the kind of friend, and I love her to death. Her name is Dr. Tinash Dune. She works in sexual health at the University of New South Wales in Sydney, Australia. She is one of my bestest friends, my bestest friend actually. She's one of the people that I, um, that really got me to accept my disability and accept who I was and really got me out of my shell. I've known this girl since we were, since we were about 19 years old. We basically grew up together uh, in, in university and so she's somebody that I just I love her to bits, and she's one of those people that will tell you like it is. She's got no hash brown, no hashtag, no filter. She tells you 100% the truth and lays it out for you and says, here's what I'm feeling. You're being, you know, this, you're doing this, you should do this. No questions asked, tells the truth. And that's something that I love and admire about her. Now, she was in town for conferences, but also to help me to work on a project that I'm working on. 
Um, I won't say any more than to say it's a really cool project and you'll be excited when you see it. Um, so she was in town helping me do that and for part of this we had to sit and have a conversation. So we're having a conversation about stuff and we're sitting in my house and we're eating Chinese food which is my favorite food in the whole world. I love Chinese food. So we're having like noodles and egg rolls and all these things that I absolutely love and it was just like we were 20 again sitting on my bed talking about boys. And so she asks me about boys and I have a big shit-eating grin on my face and I'm like, oh yeah, boy. She's like, so Andrew, tell me about what, what's your ideal partner? And I smile again because she knows me very well. And so I smiled kind of sheepishly again. I was like, well, well, he's got to be able-bodied. And I remember as I said that, I immediately felt this pang of shame in my body. Couldn't believe that that's the worst. That that's the first thing that rolled out of my mouth was, he's got to be able-bodied. That's the first thing I said, and I remember after I said it, I kind of sat there in like this weird, stunned silence that I had even said that. That I had even how could I have said that? How dare I say that? What? But it's the truth. It's the first thing I said, and I was taken aback by it. There's more to this story about ableism, sex, and disability, but first, I'd like to play an ad made by one of my friends supporting the Disability After Dark podcast. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Pam Murphy, and I'm listening to Disability After Dark, the podcast, shining a bright light on sex and disability. So there I was, extremely appalled by the fact that I had just said this, that I had just said that I needed my partner to be able-bodied. I couldn't believe that somebody like me who who knows all the lingo, who knows all the language, who knows all about social justice and disability, that I would say something so ableist. I couldn't really believe it. But the more and more I thought about it, the more and more that I believed that it, that was kind of true and how I felt. And I remember sitting there feeling completely just ashamed. I was just so angry that I had said it and that I had let it out. And I actually wrote an article following this uh, experience. And I want to read an excerpt from it to highlight for you how I felt. Because sometimes when I write, I come out with, a, with some really nice prose that sound better than me stuttering over my, my the way I felt about it. So let me read that for you now. The article I wrote for HuffPost was entitled Queer Crip Confessional, Activist or Ableist? How My Quest for the Perfect Man Excluded Disability. So here's the excerpt now. And this is again right after I said, oh yeah, he's got to be able-bodied. I began stuttering, backpedaling, rationalizing, trying desperately to couch my true feelings, telling her that it was because my partner being able-bodied was simply, quote, easier. I could have them lift me into bed if we had sex, and I wouldn't have to deal with the logistics of sex and disability with another disabled person. I was again completely floored with how honest and easy that was to say. After saying it to her, we both sat there in silence. I was grappling with the realization that my internalized ableism was so deeply rooted. That terrified me. What did it mean? I felt a deep sense of shame because how dare I ask my LGBTQ community of lovers to look at me for all that I am. The beautiful boy in the chair, queer, crippled, and cocky, and I wouldn't even do the same because I was scared that their disability would get in the way? Gross. 
I also admitted that I liked having the sexual capital of disability and queerness as my own. It's true. I was really, really angry and upset with myself that I had been asking the queer community to accept me and for all that I am as a person with a disability. And here I was admitting to my best friend in the whole world, so there's no way that I could lie to her, that in fact I would seek out somebody with without disabilities over somebody with a disability. And that just, it sickened me. And still, as I think about how pervasive ableism is and how insidious it is, and how it affected me, it grosses me out even more when I think about it again. But that's truly and honestly what happened. I really just wanted, I don't want to have to deal with all the logistics of disability twice. There's so much feelings I had about it, and it's just not fair. And But that shows you how ableism is not, ableism affects everyone. And it affected me too, and it continues to affect me. And I have to constantly remind myself that, hey, Andrew, you're being ableist right now. Stop it. Stop it. So I want to read some more from the article because I get to a really important point coming up. So let me do that, and then we'll talk about it. Would people see my crippled partner and I together and nod expectantly, thinking, of course he's with a disabled man. How cute. I was, slash am, terrified of becoming that crip cliche. I'll be honest. There is a small part of me that thinks by dating an able-bodied man, I'm somehow more normal and I have, quote, done it right. If an able-bodied guy can love me, am I not more valid in my community? I've had visions of, and daydreams of my able-bodied boyfriend next to me, smiling and happy, but never once was he a wheelchair user. That's the truth, and all my fantasies and all my daydreams about who I would date and who would go on a date with me and the kind of guy that I would spend time with, I never once pictured that he would be a wheelchair user. I never considered that as a possibility. I never even wanted it. I wanted somebody muscular. I wanted somebody who fit certain queer ideals that I had trumped up my own head. I wanted somebody who could lift me. That was my go-to defense as to why I picked a, a non-disabled person as, a, as an ideal lover. It just it, There's so many reasons why what I was feeling was wrong. And when I said it out loud in front of my best friend, all those feelings and that shame came to light and I realized how ableist I had been and I wanted so much to change that viewpoint and change how I felt. During this deep conversation with my friend, she asked me, why are you clinging so hard to normal? Why do you want this idealized version of, of a partner when you could meet somebody who is just as fantastic and also in a chair? And I wasn't able to answer I kept going back to again that that their able-bodiedness would make things easier for me and it's okay and I really had once she left and I was able to process what I had felt and process what I wanted to say and I could then write it in an article and put it down on paper and then really process my feelings but it, it would scare me to think how ableist I was in, a, in that instance and how I didn't know what to do and how I should knowing what I know as a disability awareness consultant and knowing what I know doing the work that I do advocating for queer people with disabilities, I should never have thought that. Why did that thought enter my brain? And so I'm working diligently to change my viewpoints on this. I really and truly believe why this ableism incident with me recently affected me so much is because I know that ableism hurts so much. It's painful. It's one of the most painful things 
a disabled person can experience. And I've experienced it in bed with guys right after they made out with me. I've had them tell me that, you know, it could have been better, but you could have moved down like this and you couldn't move or blah, blah. I've had guys tell me that they came over just because I was a pity fuck. I've had guys tell me things like, oh, I'll never be with a disabled guy again because of no, I've had guys tell me a whole gamut of things that were based on ableism. And I can't imagine that I would deny somebody the chance to be with me, a disabled guy, because they were also disabled. And so I think I was mostly hurt by the fact that I, that I actually felt this way and that I was so easily said it. I can't count the number of times I've sat in front of students or sat in front of a community group or sat in front of uh, a lecture hall and talked about why sex and disability is so, so amazing and why it's so great and why everybody should try to have sex with the guy in the chair because it's the best sex you'll ever have. And here I was honestly admitting that I wouldn't choose the best sex ever because I didn't want to look too disabled by having a disabled male partner. Like I just, it just floored me really and truly floored me at how I would go out there in the world as an advocate and activist and disability awareness consultant. And I built this brand on discussing disability and here I was being internally shameful of my own experience. So after all this happened and upon time to reflect, I really thought for a long while that my profession as a disability awareness consultant and doing what I do, I was a fraud. How could I go out there and talk about why sex and disability is the best sex ever? And then I would admit privately to a friend uh, that, that in fact I wanted somebody who was only able-bodied. And I was really worried that I couldn't be authentic by telling this truth. But in fact, what I learned from telling this story and telling you guys about this even now is that it doesn't diminish the work. It in fact, make, it in fact makes the story of disability more complex. I'm not immune to being ableist. I'm not immune to saying stupid ableist things like, my boyfriend needs to be able-bodied. I'm not immune to that. It shows that I have a lot of work to do, and it shows that I need to do this work just as much for myself as I do for you to share my story. So I'm glad that I get to be able to do that, and I'm glad that I get to be able to show that I'm growing as a disabled person, learning how to navigate this sex and disability thing, just like you're learning about it through listening to me. So I'm excited to know that I am not immune to things. I can be an ableist asshole sometimes, and I have to work on some things, and that's okay. That's all right, too. But I think what is paramount is that this feeling of needing to have a, an able-bodied boyfriend comes from fear, comes from years and years of having people look at me differently, having people unaware of how to handle me, and it comes from this fear of wanting to be seen as different again or having the expectation that I should have a disabled boyfriend because I, too, am disabled. There's so much fear with enableism, so I guess I was just scared of being, you know, of being pigeonholed as the queer disabled guy who's going to date all the other disabled guys. And so that, that, I guess I was just afraid to admit that that might happen. And if that does happen, I might have, I will have probably the best sex ever. And, you know, if I don't have the able-bodied boyfriend that can lift me up and fuck me against the wall, which would be amazing. Can we please make that happen, someone? If that doesn't happen, and I do end up dating a guy who's a wheelchair user or who uses a walker or who uses a cane or who uses a sling, whatever it is that they use, 
that it's okay, and I have to realize that that's okay. And I just think it's kind of gross how insidious the culture of ableism is and how quickly it can evade all of what we talk about in the disability community. And it affects all of us all the time, whether we want it to or not. The more and more I consider the question of what kind of, what is my perfect man, I want somebody who can make me laugh. I want somebody who can make me cry from laughter. I want somebody who can be honest with me. I want somebody who can be romantic. I want somebody who can, who is real. I want somebody who has been through shit. I want somebody who, can, who is different from all the rest. I mean, I want, I want so many different things. And when I look at it, when I look at what I want, a disabled person has all of those things and has a different, unique perspective, similar but different from mine. And I think that that experience, laughing with somebody who understands disability and laughing with somebody who understands the hardships that go along with disability and being there with somebody when they're going through disabled stuff that only I can understand, that's sexy and that's, that's lovely and that feeling is I, I've done that with friends of mine who are disabled and who've gone through stuff. We've been there for each other. And that's an amazing feeling and that's an amazing bond that you can't get with anybody else. So the fact that I would only that I would only subscribe to this idea that my boyfriend needs to be able bodied because he can fuck me up against the wall, um, that's just I needed I need to continue to widen my parameters. And I think that my abidance to my best friend showed me that, and I'm glad that I got to learn that I have a lot more work to do, and I'm very proud that I get to do that work with you through the podcast and through my writings and show that ableism is a dangerous, dangerous disease that can affect all of us. It's not, it's never the disability that's the problem. It's the attitude around disability, our own attitudes around our own disabilities that can often be the problem. I never want to be normal. I never want to be like anybody else. I am not just like everybody else. Like they always say when it comes to disability stuff, I am Andrew. I have a disability and it's okay if my lover has a disability too. And so we need to realize that ableism happens to all of us and we need to accept that, work against it always, and we need to move on. If you are a disabled person who's experienced that internalized ableism and you are... Um, and you are, you know, worried about, oh my God, I felt this way, I'm only looking for this. That's okay, but I think we need to work on it. And I think we need to talk about where that ableism comes from. And we need to look at how, you know, we can shift our own views of ableism and see ourselves as different, as not like anybody else, but as worthy of it, love with each other. That's okay. And I think to automatically assume that the person you're with needs to be able-bodied, is you're just we're all missing out if we think that way and I don't think it's fair of us to believe in that. I know disabled people who have felt that way. That's okay to feel that way, but look at what you're saying when you say that. And look at how dangerous that is. You're basically excluding yourself from or someone like you from ever finding love, sex or relationships. And I think we need to carefully look at that when we consider disability. And the perversive, insidious way that ableism and sexism coincide. 
I often quibble and quip that, as a disability awareness consultant, I will never be out of work because ableism is alive and well. I guess I never realized how true that is. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability. Copyright Notice The Disability After Dark podcast, including title, graphic, content, interview recordings, and title music, are property of Andrew Gerza. This podcast cannot be reproduced without permission from the owner.